Well, in this rather lengthy passage of Scripture, what I want you to see, and I think it's pretty obvious, is that what we have is the preparation for the building of the tabernacle. And I want you to think, <clears throat> excuse me, and I want you to think with me how important and how exciting of a time that this must have been for the children of Israel. There was a sense in which they had now been delivered from Egypt. There was a sense in which they had seen God's mighty hand. There was also a sense in which we should be aware of here that they had sinned a very, very grievous and serious sin against God. Just a few chapters earlier, we have the whole encounter or the whole example of their sin in making the golden calf. And one of the things that I want you to be aware of as we come into this chapter, this 35th chapter, is that just prior to this, the last time that the people of Israel had seen Moses face to face, if we can put it that way, is when he was going up on the mountain in order to make intercession for them because of the seriousness of their sin. They had sinned again a very, very grievous sin against God. And there was a sense in which there was uncertainty as to what God would do. Would God receive them back to himself? Would God in one sense cast them off forever? You remember God had said to Moses, you go with them, I will not go with them. And so again, there was in a sense a certain idea or a certain feeling of uncertainty as to whether or not the blessing of God would be with them. What a difficult thing to labor under, would it not be? To ask yourself the question, the wonder, is the blessing of God upon my life? Am I in that sad state forsaken of God? Were the things that God was doing, were the things that God, excuse me, are the things that God would hope to, that I would hope Him to do would only be a thing of the past? Is that something true? And again, all these things would be in the mind of the people of Israel at that time. And I ask you the question, are the days of blessing for you or something that you think of have only, would only happen in the past? Or the days of God working in your heart in a very, in a very intimate and a very precious way are those things that have only happened in the past? Has there been some sin to cause a breach between you and your soul? Oh, if you feel that way, let me tell you that there is an intercessor, not by the name of Moses, there is an intercessor by the name of Jesus Christ who stands in your place. And if Moses was able to bring back from the mountain a good word from God, and he did, so Jesus Christ is able to give to you a good word from his Father. And that good word from his Father is essentially this, that all who look to him in repentance and faith can, <coughs> excuse me, to know that true fellowship that we can have with God the Father. Excuse me here for just one minute. <clears throat> and so again, what we see, I want, you to, I want you to not lose sight of this. I want you to see how significant this is. That the last time that the people saw Moses, he was going up to make intercession for them. Well, now Moses comes down from the mountain. And he comes down from the mountain and again he comes with a very encouraging word. The work of the tabernacle will go on. God will provide a dwelling place where he will meet with his people. That's the significance of the, of the tabernacle you remember. You take a look at the work of the Spirit of God in the Old Testament, the work of the presence of God in the Old Testament. And from time to time God would manifest himself in various, in various places. But there is now, with the development and the building of the tabernacle, a place where God has promised to put His name. So that the people of God would know that there was a place where God certainly was. That there was a place where God would meet with His people. And what a wonderful thing to find out. After just having Moses left, making intercession and wondering what would be our condition before God. God says to the people of Israel, I will give to you a dwelling place. 
Oh, so many, so many pictures of the Lord Jesus Christ are in that tabernacle. So many ideas and so many truths are just there in the, in the, whole, in the whole structure of the tabernacle. One of the things that I want you to see and understand by way of the tabernacle, even though it was a temporary place of the dwelling of God among his people, one of the things that we sometimes often overlook is that the tabernacle itself had a relatively lengthy period of service. The tabernacle was in service from the days of Moses to the days of David. It's about 500 years. And so again, it was a place that God had ordained to put his name. It was the meeting place between God and his people. It was a precious place. It was an important place. And the work of the tabernacle would go on. And in the going on of the work of the tabernacle, we have all these preparations being made. But I find it very significant that in the opening verses of this 35th chapter, and this is one of the reasons why I read the entire chapter, in the opening verses of the 35th chapter, what we find is that Moses, or God through Moses, is reiterating the importance of the day of worship. The work of the tabernacle has to go on. It's probably the most significant thing that's happening in the life of Israel since the giving of the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. The work has to be done. But even though the work has to be done, there is a prioritizing of the day of worship, is there not? And that's significant for the people of Israel. Why? Because that was the day in which God marked out his covenant relationships with his people. And what a comfort that must have been for them. The covenant is not broken. God has not forsaken the covenant that he's made with his people. And so again, this whole idea when Moses comes down and the first thing he says to them, even before the the instructions on building the tabernacle, the first thing he says is to remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. You know, we we kind of incorporate that in our lives today, not so much by a literal observance of Saturday, but we do worship God one day in seven formally. We worship God, hopefully, every day of our lives. Hopefully, the worship of God is, nothing, is never apart from what we do. One of the things that I hope to convey to you here today is that the very work of the Spirit of God in the life of that man, man Bezalel, for the thing that God had called him to, is the very thing that you and I can depend on when God calls us to work with our hands or work with our minds, that the very Spirit that filled Bezalel to do his task is the very Spirit that fills you and I to do our task as well. Very comforting, isn't it? And so again, what we have here now is, as, as I said before, not this literal uh, fulfillment of, uh, of the Sabbath as we see it in the Old Testament, but one day in seven set apart for the worship of God in a formal way. The blessings of the people of God being gathered together with one voice and one heart praising God. With one voice and one heart hearing the word of God. You see, this is a great privilege of the people of God. In one sense, this is your mark. This is your Christian identity among among a a world of unbelief. There you go. Once again, your neighbor's seeing, oh, there goes so-and-so again, getting in his car and going off to church. Don't know what he does there, but he does it every week. And so again, in one sense, it's an identifying mark for the people of God. And so again, we see Moses reiterating and showing, again, God's faithfulness to them and keeping uh, this covenant of the Sabbath that we see here. But what I really want to do here this morning is I want to take a look uh, here at how the Spirit of God is making use of this man, Bezalel. It's very important because what we're going to see here is that Bezalel is given a specific task. It, It is a task of executive leadership in one sense, we might say, It's a task where he has to oversee uh, quite a large uh, 
uh, uh, portion of things that are coming in. He has to manage both property and, and personnel, we might say. But the thing that I want you to see is essentially this. Whatever Bezalel is called to, he is equipped for. And that's the point of contact of the teaching of the text and application that I want to make today. Because I want you to see and understand, I am convinced that God has a purpose for Nauset Baptist Church. I'm convinced of that. I'm ashamed to say I don't know exactly what it is other than other than the worship of God and the witness of, and, the, and the witness of the people of God to, the, to, to, to this community. I know that. What that's going to look like in the details, I'm not sure of. But I can say with every confidence before you and before God that whatever God calls us to as a congregation, He will equip us for. Why do I say that? Because He's given us His Holy Word. And His Holy Word equips us for all, for all good works of service. You remember that passage last week, that the man of God might be perfect, thoroughly equipped. Remember what that little phrase, thoroughly equipped, means? The picture there. In olden days, when a ship was going on a long voyage, everything that was needed for that voyage was packed into the ship. Everything that's needed for your voyage in this world is packed into the Word of God. And so again, God equips us, but He equips us with His Spirit as well. You know, the, the, the work of Jesus Christ on the earth today is a supernatural work. You know that, don't you? You know that really when it's all said and done, it's not you or me who's doing the work. It's the Spirit of God working through us. And isn't that an amazing thing to know in the sense? You've, you've felt that, haven't you? You've sensed that. When there you were speaking something, you, weren't even, you couldn't even believe in your ears what was coming out of your mouth. Why? Because it was the Spirit of God that was using you in that moment. You look in the scriptures over and over again. When you see that little phrase, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Look somewhere in the context. Somebody's going to be speaking. Whenever individuals are filled with the Spirit of God, words come out of their mouth. Spirit-inspired, heaven-sent words. Oh, this word, this world needs Spirit-inspired and heaven-sent words. And so again, we're going to see Bezalel is equipped to this task. Well, again, the thing we're looking at primarily is that Bezalel, again, is equipped for this task by the Holy Spirit. One of the things that we see over and over again is that the Spirit of God is found on every page of Scripture. Uh, the first page of Scripture, there he is. The, the Spirit of God was brooding or ho hovering over, over the waters. He's on the first page of the Scripture. He's on the last page of Scripture as well. The Spirit and Bride say, come. You see, this, this, this book that God has given to us is a Spirit-inspired and Spirit-saturated book. And it's meant to do the same thing for us, to be inspired by the Spirit of God, to be saturated by the Spirit of God. But what I want you to see and understand, as I said before, that we see the Spirit of God all the way through the Word of God. It's interesting how he is presented to us in, in, in the scripture. Uh, we see that in, in, in a very real, real way, the, the spirit of God certainly not only is a power or force. We see him in powerful ways, but he's certainly more than a power or force. And we find this in, in a couple of passages that are somewhat uh, disappointing from the standpoint of how people are interacting with the Spirit of God. And the way that we would make a case for the, for the personality of the Holy Spirit would be along the following lines. Like I said, somewhat disappointing, but we have to hear that. Genesis chapter 6, verse 3. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man. My spirit shall not always strive with man. You see, the Spirit of God strives with individuals. The Spirit of God is, is yearning to do something within you. The Spirit of God is desiring to work within you. And the Spirit of God is active and striving with the individual. 
And in this passage of scripture in Genesis chapter 6, it's a very sad passage of scripture because that statement is made because people were living active lives of sin. They were resisting and they were quenching and grieving the spirit of God. And God says, my spirit will not always strive with man. But aren't you glad that the spirit of God is not done striving with men and women today? Aren't you glad that the Spirit of God is still striving with you and me to conform us more and more to the image of Christ? But again, why do I bring this passage out? Because this passage shows the personality of the Spirit of God. He is a spirit. He he is a person. He strives. Another passage of Scripture along the same lines, Isaiah chapter 63, verse 10, "But but they rebelled and vexed His Holy Spirit. Therefore, He was turned to be their enemy and He fought against them. What a... They vexed his Holy Spirit, therefore he turned to be their enemy. Oh, you see, here we see the fatherly chastisements, even of the Spirit of God, bringing us to the place where we ought to be. Sometimes we know what it is to to, to lose our way in in the things of God, to, to stray from obedience to God. And again, aren't you glad that the Spirit of God brings us back? Sometimes He works very, 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 very heavily to bring us back. Sometimes He works gently, but thank God He is bringing us back. But you see, in both of these passages of Scripture, we can't say that the Spirit of God is just a force. The Spirit of God has true personality. And so we see this in this passage of Scripture. The other thing I want you to be aware of, even before we get into the details of the text, is that we have a number of ways in which, a number, a number of different ways in which the Spirit of God is referred to in the Scripture. And we might call this the terminology that the Scripture uses uh, to explain to us the, uh, the person of the Holy Spirit. Uh, God refers to him as my spirit nine times. Fourteen times he's referred to as the Spirit of the Lord. Uh, excuse me, 14 times he's referred to as the Spirit of God. 26 times he's referred to the Spirit of the Lord. Now what's interesting is that everything that we see in the New Testament by way of this fullness of the Spirit, and that's one of the things we have to understand, that whatever we see in the Old Testament by way of uh, the work of the Spirit of God, there is an, an increase in the New Testament that the consistent blessing for the people of God in this day and age is to have in a continual fashion, what we will see Bezalel having only in a, what we might say, temporary fashion. You see, this is one of the distinctions that we see between the work of the Spirit of God then and now. The work of the Spirit of God, as I said before, in many ways is fully pictured for us in the Old Testament. But there is a development and a greater blessing that is ours because of the work of Jesus Christ. That's why we read that passage of Scripture this morning. It is expedient for you that I go away. Because if I do not go away, this, the, 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 Holy, I, the Holy Spirit will not come. The Lord Jesus Christ saying to his disciples, the presence of the Spirit of God with you is more important than my physical presence with you. Almost hard to believe, isn't it? But this is the truth of Scripture. And that truth of Scripture is a truth that you and I have. But everything that we're going to see in, in blossom in the New Testament, we find in, in at least seed form in the Old Testament. And so what I want you to see then is essentially this, that everything by way of this equipping for active works of service in our day is given to us in picture form here in uh, this example with Bezalel. Now again, you see here from Exodus 35 that Bezalel is uh, kind of uh, commissioned to oversee the work of the building of the tabernacle. And there are just a number of wonderful things that we see in this building of the tabernacle that we definitely have to make note of. 
The first thing that I want you to see is this. Did you notice that this was a willing work that the people of God were to be involved in? Everyone who was of a willing spirit. I think four times in that 35th chapter, uh, the word willing is used. In other words, the work of God must be done by way of free will desire. There's a sense in which we cannot do the work of God by way of compulsion from without. There is a sense in which all true work for God has to spring from inner motivations. Those inner motivations put within us by the Spirit of God. And so what I would say is this, as we forecast what the work of God here at Nosset might be, can I ask this question, oh, oh, are there willing souls to do the work? And I believe that there are. Certainly if there were willing souls in Moses' day, there must be willing souls in Christ's day. Certainly if there were those who were willing to, to bring their offerings then, there are, willing, there are those who are willing to bring their offerings now. Certainly if, those, if there were those who were willing to bring their persons to the work, there must be people willing to bring their persons to the work today. And so again, this whole idea that the work of the tabernacle here was to be a free will, a willing work on the people of God. The other thing that we see here by way of, um, by way of interest is the fact that the work for the tabernacle was to be a work of the wise. In one sense, we can say this, that the building of the tabernacle was to be a ministry of the willing and the wise. And the wise that we are speaking of here really has to do with, at least in this reference, to the skillful use that would be needed to construct the tabernacle. It would be a work of skill. In other words, the, work, the building of the tabernacle, the building of the place for the worship of God, was not to be an, amateurs, an endeavor of amateurs. It was to be a work done by those who were skilled in particular things. And people came willingly either offering goods or offering service. And Bezalel was an individual that was given by way of God through Moses the oversight of this entire operation. And so again, as I said before, just interesting things that we see here. One more thing that we see here by way of an interest is that three times in this passage of scripture we find that the women are given a place of prominence. The women were bringing certain things. The women were bringing gold. The women were bringing uh, certain fabrics. And so again, we see that this was a work that involved the whole of the people of God. Men and women willingly coming into the service of God in order that the tabernacle uh, might be built. Now the tabernacle and 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 its significance, as I said before, is really this. It is that place where God meets with his people for worship. How important is the tabernacle? Let me see if I can put it in perspective. Two chapters are given in in the scripture concerning the creation of the universe. Fifty chapters in the scripture are given to the building of the tabernacle. God wants you to know, yes, where you are on this earth, but more importantly, he wants you to know how to worship him. He'll give you two chapters to let you know where you are. He'll give you 50 chapters to know how to worship him. That's how important worship is. And so again, what we see is this whole uh, emphasizing and giving importance to the building of the tabernacle. Because as I said before, it was that place where God would meet his people. Worship is so significant. Worship is your primary responsibility. Worship is your greatest glory, your greatest joy, and your highest duty. And again, what I would call you to is essentially this. What, the, the understanding is, uh, would be essentially this. Whatever God is calling us to as a people, worship will be at the center of that. Whatever God is calling us to as a people to do in this place or outside of this place, the worship of God will be paramount. And I must ask you the question. I'm so happy to see you here worshiping God this day. What will your worship look like this afternoon? What will your worship look like tomorrow morning? What will your worship look like throughout the week? 
You have hands that you can worship God with. I'll get a little bit ahead of my notes here, but I'll bring this out. When you take a look at this whole idea of how Moses was calling the people to, 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 to give of their gold and, and people's hearts were stirred to give of gold and give of and, and the things that they had. This was, this was costly for them. And the reason why it was costly, kind of a sad thing that we have to note, is that the last time they gave gold, they gave gold for the creation of the golden calf. So much of their gold was already given away. But that which remained, they gave for the construction of the tabernacle. And what I want you to see is essentially this. My friends, what do you, quote unquote, have left? I don't care what you think the world has taken away from you. There's still something left. And what you have left, you bring to God for worship. What is left in your hand, you bring to God for worship. And this is an amazing thing. The very things that they once used in the service of sin, their, their gold, they now use in the service of God, their remaining gold. And don't let... Satan make you think that, quote-unquote, your best days are behind you. Don't let Satan think that, quote-unquote, you've been so abused in the past that you can't be used in the future. Don't let Satan make you think that somehow you're incapable to the task. You have the Word of God. You have the Spirit of God equipping you. And whatever is left, can I say it this way, in the tank, can be used for the glory of God. And so again, we see this whole thing, this bringing together uh, great, va- you know, vast sums of wealth, uh, sums of material, uh, people willing and, wet- and ready to do the task. And again, Bezalel is given the um, is given the uh, the responsibility uh, for uh, this uh, for overseeing this task. Now, as I said before, Bezalel. I think before, he is just uh, uh, an interesting character to study. He really is. As I, as I said before, he's, he's rare, but he's not unique. And what, what do I mean by that? He's rare in the sense that we don't find many people in the Old Testament who were, quote-unquote, filled with the Holy Spirit. There are quite a few. I want to say there, there may be as many as 15 or 16 individuals that we find filled with the Holy Spirit. Moses was filled with the Holy Spirit. David was filled with the Holy Spirit. Joshua was filled with the Holy Spirit. There were prophets who were filled with the Holy Spirit at times. That filling of the Holy Spirit by way of a distinction to help us understand the difference between their filling with the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament and our filling with the Holy Spirit in the New Testament was essentially this. That that filling was usually specific to a task, specific to the circumstances, and specific to the time. And so what there was by way of exception is now the Christians by way of normal Christian experience in this day. But the key that I want you to see is this. Let's not take the exceptional experience of the people of God and bring it down to the normal to where there seems to be no real excitement or no real uh, kind of uh, uh, usefulness and say, well, we're all filled with the Holy Spirit and we look around and we don't see ourselves living any different than the world. Shame on us. Rather, let this continual infilling of the Holy Spirit parallel the great acts that we see here in the Old Testament. Bezalel equipped for the task. And so what we see specifically then is this in verses uh, 30 uh, and following. So let's take a look there at verses 30 and following. And Moses said unto the children of Israel, See, the Lord hath called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of uh, Judah. And he hath filled them with the Spirit of God, and wisdom, and understanding, and knowledge, and in all manner of workmanship. Again, Bezalel, this man filled with the Spirit. I have to confess, I think the first time that, that I remember like really being aware of this man, Bezalel, 
is when I, when I was young, I was in my early 20s, and like uh, after I got out of the service, the first kind of like real job that I had uh, was I was working in the shipyard and uh, learned, trying to learn to trade, having difficulty with it. And I would remember driving to work in the morning, thinking about me. I hope I don't mess anything up. And thinking, well, wouldn't it be nice to have the, sp- the, the, the spirit the way Bezalel did? Bezalel was able to do great work with his hands. And so there I was getting ready to do work with my hands, thinking, boy, wouldn't it be great to have the spirit, uh, the same spirit? And again, I did, maybe just didn't realize it. But what I want you to see here is that what Bezalel was called to, he was equipped for. Let's take a look at how the spirit of God filled him. Verse 31, and he had filled him with the spirit of God in wisdom and understanding and in knowledge and in all manner of workmanship. These four areas were really in Bezalel, not natural gifts. They were supernatural endowments. Now, they may have been natural gifts to some extent, but primarily in this passage of scripture, they are presented as supernatural endowments. And these endowments, again, uniquely gifted Bezalel for the task. And the first thing that we see here is wisdom. Notice again what we see that we see in verse thirty-one: uh, filled with the Spirit of God in wisdom. Now, what's in, what's interesting about wisdom is this: uh, some of you probably know that wisdom, if we can use a, like a baseline definition, wisdom is the is the right application of knowledge to a particular end. So that spiritual wisdom is the application of biblical truth to the end of the, to glorify God in our lives. What's interesting here, by way of wisdom is that wisdom here, in this passage of Scripture anyway, does not in any way suggest what I would call originality. Because Bezalel was not called to be original in the construction of the tabernacle. He was called to be faithful in the construction of the tabernacle. And when I mean when, when I say faithful, I don't necessarily mean faithful in that he went to, that he showed up every day. I mean faithful and that he built the tabernacle according to the pattern, Hebrews 8, according to the pattern that God had given. So it wasn't for Bezalel to say, well, you know, I think the gold would really look good over here or the curtains. I think that's the way. That wasn't Bezalel's uh, 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 purview, so to speak. Bezalel had to do that which God had commanded him. And I would say this, Christian, your highest worship is doing that which God has commanded you. That which God has called you to. That which God is equipping you to. And so whatever else that we see by way of wisdom here, the wisdom that Bezalel has here is not so much a wisdom of originality, but it's, a, but it's a wisdom of fidelity. Fidelity, faithful to what God had called him to. The next thing that we see uh, that Bezalel has here is understanding. Now again, I think this is interesting when we take a look at the context in which we find this. And probably what understanding would mean here would essentially be along these lines. It would be the ability to make use of the people and the free will provisions. So that when Bezalel ends up with this big mound of fabric and, and, and gold and wood, he's probably saying to himself, okay, well, what am I going to do with all this? Well, he was given the gift of the Spirit of God to know what to do with it. Okay, get all the gold over there. Put the brass over there. Get the silver over there. Put the wood over there. Get the fabric over here. Those people who are, who, who are, who are carpenters, get over there. Goldsmiths, over there. Those skillful women who know how to use their hands, get over there. You see, Bezalel was given wisdom for the task that God had called him to. And do not be surprised if God calls you to a task in this present day that somehow you get these ideas, can I put it this way, they're heaven sent, that God is showing you how the work of God is to be done in our day. And so again, the gift of wisdom, the gift of understanding. The next thing that we see here is the gift of knowledge. 
And this is probably the possession of the principal facts to accomplish the task. The possession of the principal facts to accomplish the task. Again, some of us work with our hands. Other you, uh, others of you are professionals, and and maybe you know the situation where uh, you know you, you you show up with a with a with a box or a truck full of tools, but you don't have a, you don't have a clue as what to do with them. Well, that's not knowledge. Knowledge is the, is, is the awareness. Okay, I know what those two tools are, tools are used for. And again, Bezalel has this. So he has this wisdom, this understanding, of this knowledge. And then the last thing that we see here is, is workmanship. And this is ability to execute the task. What a wonderful thought that is. Ability to execute the task. Thank God for good ideas. Thank God for men and women who offer prayerful ideas. Ideas soaked and bathed in prayer. But thank God for the ability to execute those prayers and those plans. Great plans often never get off the table. Great plans often sound real good, but there's no ability, no strength to carry them through. But I'm convinced, brothers and sisters, that by the grace of God, that which God calls us to, that which God plans, that which God ordains us to, He will give us the ability to execute. Why do we say this? I have to admit, I don't know the congregation that well yet. You don't know me that well yet. So we're not here depending on one another, are we? We are depending on the Spirit of God and we are depending on the Word. We are depending on the power of God to get done that which God is calling us to. So Bezalel, again, this example of what an Old Testament uh, uh, saint looks like by way of being filled with the Spirit. And as, again, as I said before, it's, it's rare, but it's not unique. Now, one of the things that I want you to see and understand because I want you to appreciate everything that we're seeing by way of what's happening in the life of Bezalel. I don't, want, in any, I don't want, to, want to in any way uh, diminish the significance of that. I want you to have an appreciation and even an, ex, an excitement for what God did in that man's life. But what I, want, what I want you to see is that God has purposely ordained that there be in our day, if I can put it this way, in this gospel day, the work of the Spirit in such measure that when we look and understand is what the Spirit of God did in the Old Testament, we have to say... Boy, that was something, but aren't we glad that we live in this day? Do you know, I'm convinced that if you or I were to talk to one of the Old Testament prophets, do you know what they would say to us? You mean you live in that day? You mean you live in that day where Messiah is clearly seen? You mean you live in that day where Messiah is at the right hand of his Father, ruling and reigning over Korea? You mean you live in that day when the Spirit of God has been poured out on all flesh? Well, tell me about it. Well, you know, I get up and go to work in the morning. I have a hard time at work. And, you know, I... (laughs) What do you think they would say to us? They said, my friend, brother, you live in this day. Make use of what God has given. My brothers and sisters, do you hear again? Do you hear, can I say it this way? God's voice here, not my voice. Again, please, I don't even know how to say this, but do you hear God saying there's a work to be done here? And there is an equipment given for that work, and that work is the Spirit of God himself. This, this is why the Lord Jesus Christ says, he says these things in, 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 uh, in, in, in a number of passages in John. Again, he that believeth on me, as the Scripture saith, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake even of the Spirit which they that believe in him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. 
Now, again, the Spirit of God was not yet given. Does that mean that the Spirit of God wasn't active? Of course not. We've seen, where he's, we've seen in the Old Testament where He's active. What it does mean is this, that there is a giving of the Spirit in our day that would so overshadow what we saw in the life of Bezalel. Oh, my brothers and sisters, is it true? John chapter 14, verse 17, Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. Now listen to this, but ye know him. For he dwelleth with you. Now what's interesting is that when you take a look at the activity of the Spirit of God in the Old Testament, oftentimes the idea of dwelling with is, 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 is predominant. The, the tabernacle, God is dwelling with his people. Again, it's very, very significant. That was the whole, in one sense, the whole purpose of the Exodus. You remember when, when, when God says through Moses to Pharaoh, let my people go that they may serve me. The word serve there is a word for worship. It happens in, uh, in Exodus 4, it happens in Exodus 7, 8, and 9. Where specifically, God says through Moses to Pharaoh, my people have to go and serve me, worship me. And in that worship, it would be God dwelling among his people. But now, in this day and age, he is with you but shall be in you. Oh, thank God for the ministry of the Spirit of God. And again, in John chapter 20, verse 22, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and said unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. What a wonderful thing. And as I said before, the Old Testament prophets, they, 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 they knew that this day was coming. Joel chapter 2, verse, verse, uh, verse 28, It shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Again, the Spirit of God. So again, all these things. But the thing that I want you to see just by way of by way of the highest understanding of the ministry of the Spirit of God. We thank God for the ministry of the Spirit of God in the life of Bezalel. We thank God and hopefully are thirsty for more of the Spirit of God's ministry in our life in this day. But how exciting and how glad are we to see the ministry of the Spirit of God in the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. From incarnation to ascension, the Spirit of God is present in the life of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, if we look at a very important um, messianic uh, passage of Scripture, we see a great parallel between what the Spirit of God did in the life of Bezalel and what the Spirit of God did in the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen once again to our passage in Exodus 35, verse 31. And he hath filled them with the Spirit of God. Listen, in wisdom, understanding, knowledge, and all manner of workmanship. Now listen to Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. This is a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Spirit of wisdom, of understanding, of counsel and might, and of knowledge. There's a sense in which the ministry of the Spirit of God in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ was pictured and foreshadowed in the life of Bezalel. And what I'm saying to you is this whole idea of wisdom, understanding, knowledge, and ability to do workmanship, it's still the, if I can put it this way, it is the consistent work of the Spirit of God in the lives of the people of God. So again, when we think of our coming task, there will be wisdom there. There will be knowledge. There will be understanding. There will be the ability to do. It's the consistent mark of the, of, of the ministry of the Spirit of God. And so again, the Spirit of God in the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to these passages that you may have not, that maybe have not come to your attention or you've not thought of. Or maybe an expression you may not have thought of. That the Lord Jesus Christ was the Spirit-filled man par excellence. That the Lord Jesus Christ was the Spirit-filled man par excellence. Listen again to these passages of Scripture. John chapter 3, verse 34. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. 
The Spirit unmeasured, fully given to Christ. What a wonderful thought. What a wonderful picture. Again, Luke chapter 14, excuse me, chapter 4, verse 18. The Lord Jesus Christ himself is able to say, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach, he goes on to say. When Peter speaks of our Lord Jesus Christ in the book of Acts, when he preaches Christ, how does he say it? How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good. Luke chapter 4, verse 1, and Jesus being full of the Holy Ghost returned from Jordan. Oh, you see this ministry of the Holy Spirit to equip and to enable the people of God. Well, again, that brings us to our day. And you know, by way of the by way of the teaching of the New Testament, you know that the very reason why you were called, just like Israel was delivered out of Egypt, was to, is to worship God. You know that. And you need to have that concept clear in your mind that your greatest priority is the worship of God. That's what you were saved for. God said to this wicked world and to the, and to the devil, who, who, who in one sense, again, I'm going to be careful how I say this, to the devil who seemed to control it, he said, let my people go that they may serve me. And that's the voice that God spoke over you. And when you came to this awareness of your own sin, have you come to the awareness of your own sin? Do you understand the depths of sin in your soul? And I'm not asking you to expose it to me or I'm not trying to, 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 to expose you one way or another. I'm asking you to let the Spirit of God deal with you. And when you see that you are in a bondage worse than Egypt... And when you cry out for this Redeemer, and that Redeemer is none other than Jesus Christ, oh, aren't you glad? I'm so glad. I've said this before. I'm so glad. Sometimes I think the passage of Scripture may be misused, but I'm so glad that the passage of Scripture that the world knows best is John 3.16. Preach it high. Preach it everywhere you get a chance. Yes, God so loved the world. Yeah, there are a whole lot of explanations that we have to give, a whole lot of things that we have to understand so that we don't apply that in the wrong way. But at the end of the day, God is still a God who loved the world and he gave his only begotten son. My friends, that you and I might be saved. Have you come to the Savior? Have you come to the Savior? And you see the Savior that you come to, he will equip you for works of service. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. You know that you're saved to do the work of God. Again, you know the passage of Scripture, Ephesians 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship. Some of you might know this, that the word workmanship there is a Greek word where over into English it translates into the word poem, poema. That's the word for workmanship there. I've heard some commentators, some preachers say, there you are, you are the poem of God. Are you living up to it? Are you that poem? For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God hath ordained that we should walk in them. God has ordained good works for you. My brothers and sisters, are, are, are you, are, are, will you stand before the Lord Jesus Christ one day and will you stand with a whole lot left in the tank or will you stand before the Lord Jesus Christ having given your all for the glory of Christ and for his kingdom? Don't be intimidated by that. Why? Because whatever God calls you to, he equips you for. He will make you sufficient to the task that he calls you to. So let's not shy away from the task. You know, this task will be accomplished by way, of the, by, by, by way of the use of spiritual gifts. 
You know that each and every one of us here who are saved has some spiritual gift. And that spiritual gift, those spiritual gifts, again, you have to understand that the spiritual gifts are given primarily for the edification of the church. They may, I like to put it this way, they may, they may flow over into your, into your conduct in society at large. But the spiritual gifts are given primarily for usefulness in the church. What are your gifts, my brothers and sisters? Consider what they are. Make use of them. Ask God to give you a window of insight into how you can make use of these gifts. And so here we have this man, Bezalel. But even to a greater extent, here we have our Lord Jesus Christ, the Spirit-filled man. But here we are in the day and age in which we live, where the Spirit of God is equipping us for a certain task. Brothers and sisters, I close with with how I open. I am convinced that God has a